Dottie, uh-huh. we like to party. Yeah. We don't cause trouble. Uh-huh. We don't bother the body. We're yeah. just, just the men that's on the mic. mic. And then we walk up on the mic, we rock the mic. Right! Yeah, Whoa. yeah. Yo, Renegade Culture, Hip Hop History Month. What's good? Yo, right. what's good, everybody? How y'all doing? This is Kamal K. Franklin. Minister Server. And we got the, the ear doctor. doctor. The ear doctor. 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 Y'all brought right. in as high as hell. He's floating. He's floating. He's floating. He's floating. He's doing his thing. Yo, and if y'all notice, you know, our brother Kalanji is Where's not here. Where's Kalanji? I got a car earlier. He said he was on his way, but his bicycle broke down. So <laughs> he couldn't make it and shit again. You know what I'm saying? I told you, man, you got to get one of those scooters or Uber or something. Or something, nigga. You got to step on up, now. man. Tell your moms to give you a bigger allowance and you but can you know what? get down here. I got you again. Because we all family, so I got you, yo. True, yo, true. how about we get him a big wheel? Yo, that's what, that's what he needs. That's what he needs. That's, that's what he needs. Need. We got you, Clyde. I can see him on no the highway pedaling and shit. Pedaling and pedaling, you know what I'm saying? Cussing out folks and shit. <laughs> exactly. Yo, so tonight we got a real special deep show tonight. We're going to be talking about U.S. Empire. Yeah. Our two special guests that we're going to have on is Kali Okuno and Ajamu Baraka, who are going to rock the mic and talk about U.S. international affairs, U.S. hegemony, uh, what's happening in terms of the empire, and where is the left in the United States to challenge U.S. hegemony? Yes, yes, because what you have to understand is that the empire, no matter who is the head of the empire, the empire is the empire. Mm-hmm. So, up. yo, so we Renegade Culture, we're going to be back, boom. Renegade Culture. Yeah. Yo, this is Renegade Culture. I'm the ear doctor, and this is your quick mix fix right here. Let's go. of a master plan because uh-huh. ain't nothing but sweat inside my hand so I dig into my pocket all my money spent so I dig deeper it's still coming up with red so I stop the mission leave my residence thinking how I can get, get some dead presidents I need money I used to be a stick up kid so, so I, I think of all the devious I did oh, oh. Yo, you, you, you muddled on one line and, and, you, you, and you messed up you I didn't fuck up at all it's supposed, no, to, be, it's supposed lint. to be lint you did said lint oh my bad no you're right you're right you're right you're right you're right that's why it's hip hop oh damn come on man I take the I take it I take the blame for that I take the blame for that it's all good so yeah so yo we got some special guests, yeah, and, and, yeah, you know, they all hip-hop heads, you know what I'm saying? Heavyweights, 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 you know what I'm saying? Heavyweight grassroots activists, Look organizers, down. folks I've known for a long time, I've done plenty of work with, so I want to start off with the intros. First, we got Kali Akuno, who's the co-founder and director of Cooperation Jackson, 
Um, Kali has been the co-director of the U.S. Human Rights Network, executive director of People's Hurricane Relief Fund. Kali is a writer, organizer, activist, um, all around, like close family. Brother Kali, uh, Kali, how you doing, bro? I'm doing all right tonight. Good, good. Doing all right. Word, and we got another guest up here, Jamu Baraka. He is a political activist and associate fellow at the Institute of Policy, uh, of Policy Studies. He is also a former Green Party nominee for Vice President of the United States of America in the 2016 election and currently serves as the national organizer and spokesperson for the Black Alliance for Peace. Thank you, brothers, for being yeah, on. Yeah. We appreciate it. You know what I'm All saying? Right. All right. How you yes, doing, Adamo? Yes. I'm doing well. I'm really glad to be here. I've been watching this, you know, this podcast and and wondering why I never got an invitation. So I, I, I consider this to be Get the affirmation that I finally arrived. As That's right. That's right. You know what? I'm glad that you waited till we got on air to say that. Too. Get him. Get him. You'll be on the next five podcasts in a row and shit like that. Okay? Well, uh, um, so we, you know, we brought y'all on uh, to talk about U.S. Empire, basically. Um, you know, one of the things that we haven't always uh, uh, got too deep on, but we really need to. Uh, with this new election that just happened, Biden, the possible president-elect, you know, mm -hmm. whether or not your boy leaves um, office or not. So we got uh, uh, Biden replacing Trump. And our first question that we want to open up with, I'm going to start with you, Ajamu, is what do you think are the sort of the nuances and the differences between what a Biden presidency may look like compared to what Trump may look like, what Trump, what, what Trump was in, in terms of his uh, presidency? One, I think there's going to be a shift in, in rhetoric. Uh, the Biden administration will uh, frame their policies in a much more sophisticated and comprehensive way. But in terms of the, as then secondly though, uh, in terms of substance, um, uh, clearly the Biden forces represent a different class um, uh, faction of the bourgeoisie. Uh, the Biden forces are representing the finance and transnational uh, uh, corporations, um, the globalists, if you will, uh, versus the economic um, nationalists, uh, the big uh, uh, US-based uh, capital uh, that uh, supported uh, Donald Trump. So there will be a, a, a shift in that focus. But what will kind of connect up both of those, those elements is a, uh, a recognition, not a recognition, but a commitment on the part of capital uh, to allow the Democrats to come in and clean things up, in particular uh, around the issue of fiscal policy. Mm -hmm. They're gonna use the trillions of dollars that were uh, dedicated to uh, prop up the economy uh, as a consequence of COVID uh, to uh, have a wholesale attack on what, as, as Kylie talked about a little earlier, the, the last remnants of the so-called welfare state, uh, the services that are still in place to uh, provide some degree of relief to working uh, class people in this country, uh, they're going to, it's going to be a, a severe uh, uh, campaign of austerity imposed at every level of government to basically uh, deal with the so-called debt. So austerity is going to be uh, uh, straight up on the agenda uh, globally. It's going to be a continuation of aggressive policies, but even perhaps more aggressive. I suspect they're going to uh, end up escalating tensions between the U.S. and North Korea. They're going to continue the uh, escalation 
of tensions between China uh, and the U.S. Uh, they're going to continue with their uh, expand expansion on the African continent. So it's going to be straight up uh, strengthening the uh, interests uh, of, of U.S. empire, which means basically the strengthening uh, and advancement of white power. And Kali, how do you how do you see what do you see the nuances between a Trump regime, you know, something that we look upon as sort of more overt white supremacy, the sort of American first idea, and uh, Biden coming in uh, in terms of like foreign policy or U.S. empire and how it operates. I mean, I don't I have no disagreement with with what Ajamu laid out. None. Um, you know, maybe just add on a couple of things. You know. Um, uh, Biden and I think are going to come harder actually at Venezuela. Um, they're going to do more to, to block, uh, I think, uh, uh, Bolivia uh, in the transition is trying to make back. Uh, folks got to remember most of the undermining uh, pieces that got set in place, both in Brazil and in Bolivia and other parts of, of South America, were the, those traps were laid by the, the Obama administration. You know, going back to him supporting several coups, Uruguay, Honduras, etc. Exactly. Um, so that that police is going to go right back in, in in play. You know, to put their interests uh, right back in command and try to reassert the Monroe Doctrine. That's part of you know what what Ajama was just saying, uh, reestablishing order and getting right. things back to normal. You know, so uh, uh, all the little black and brown people, you know, south of the border, uh, uh, get their ass back in line. Um, uh, stop messing with China and stop thinking that there's going to be some alternative way that this thing is going to go. Uh, you know, that's the game that this basically uh, being played. The other things that, you know, they're going to go back, I think, not with the same level of frontal assault on Iran, but they're going to come back, you know, with their, their, their attempted kind of a regime sanctions, but they're going to use uh, the ground that they think that Trump laid. Don't think that, you know, be a little different language, but they feel that they're in a better uh, position now uh, than they were, and they're going to use that. Uh, they're going to keep pressing uh, the war on, on Yemen. Um, you know, they're going to keep uh, uh, digging in uh, uh, deeper uh, in terms of both expanding military bases and the different programs of extraction of raw materials uh, on the African continent. So, oh, that's going to continue. That ain't, that's just going to step up. It's just a tactical shift and some shifts in priorities. You know, the big thing. Uh, uh, that you probably see them do first and foremost is have all these new ceremonies with NATO, because that's the key yeah. cornerstone to their military dominance. That they got to kind of get that domino, you know, back fully in place and get everybody on board and do all their little uh, kissing and making up. And you know, we sorry we left you hanging, and we won't do that again. Get back on board. Uh, that that'll be one of the primary things that you can expect on a, on a, the kind of the international level. You know, the real issue for these liberals was 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 uh, what, um, you know, our brother Amos Cesare wrote a long time ago, Discourse on the Colonialism, you know, to the extent that they were really afraid of this cat. They were just afraid that he was going to apply the methods, you know, normally reserved reserve, you know, reserve for us mm -hmm. uh, inside the empire and, and for those folks who, you know, uh, uh, live uh, in, in subject and colonized positions on the external side of it. That he was going to bring that uh, politics home. That's that's the only real uh, fear. Uh, and what normal means is, uh, you know, that threat is removed from them, yeah. uh, and it just goes right back to where it was normally placed, right back squarely on us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, so that's the only thing that, that really is going to change. But, you know, I'm going to keep saying my mantra. So to make it clear, the Democrats' particular objective in this period in time, I would say the, much of the last 30 years, their primary role within this whole joint is to make sure that the empire is protected, is preserved right. exactly. at all costs. That's their job. That's their function. So, um, you know, as far as they're concerned, they're in some better positioning rather than a few players. Uh, but, you know, the show is going to go on. Right, which is why even the, the Biden-Harris ticket, that's why they was even put in place for the game to continue like that. Go ahead, Doug. No, I was going to say, so we, uh, we are also uh, going to be joined earlier by Rosa Clemente, and she's trying to get in. Um, uh, Rosa, can you hear us? So I'm not sure if she can hear us. So we're going to try to bring we'll her in on the next, next segment. segment yeah. yeah, so uh, Brother Ajamu, um, so, you know, I, I don't know if you have some immediate commentary to some of the stuff that Kali laid out, but obviously some of the things that, uh, that Trump represented was sort of, again, this American first, exactly. uh, a particular hostility towards, you know, the old school arch conservatives, hostility towards Iran, but also sort of a pulling back from, uh, from putting more U.S. troops uh, into different places. And that's something that the Democrats, um, particularly uh, in the last few decades, let's say, relied on more in terms of expanding uh, some of these wars that Bush started um, when he was in the House. So, do you think that you're going to see more troops on the ground uh, now that uh, Biden becomes back in charge? Or do you think there's going to be, you know, this continuation of sort of drone warfare like taking the lead now in terms of U.S., how they keep things in place? And then also, you know, th just to add on to that, you know, like I was watching the day and they were talking about the whole Brexit, you know, mm -hmm. and how that's a big factor. Do, do you see that changing now with, with, with Biden coming in and, and um, pushing back as far as Trump and uh, what's his name, Johnson over there was kind of palsing around together. So how do you think that that's going to play out now with the Brexit uh, being a big part of, you know, the, the, the EU? Yeah, I think that, uh, well, let me let me deal with this, the second question first. I think that, um, no, there won't be any changes right now in terms of, of the relationship between the U.S. Um, and, and Europe. I think that the, the 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 most changes that will take place though will be in the attitude uh, toward the UK. Um, the UK now finds itself sort of um, hung out there with the uh, defeat of Donald Trump uh, because you know they had depended on it uh, reestablishing a so-called special relationship uh, with the US in order to offset whatever economic uh, uh, fallout they were experiencing by disconnecting somewhat from the EU. Uh, now there will be sufficient pressure on the UK to find uh, some accommodations with the uh, with the EU uh, to uh, to to make sure that it it is able to protect its interests in this changing situation now that uh, Biden's back in place because Biden's objective is to try to reestablish the uh, uh, the uh, pan-European uh, pro-Western colonial project with the U.S. at the head of it. Uh, so they, they want to uh, they want to try their last chance of trying to reestablish some degree of European uh, global control. And so uh, the, the French and the uh, Germans are somewhat uh, amenable to that, even though the Germans have some contradictions, because they, they understand that they are the predominant power on the European continent. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Biden forces have been floating the idea of reintroducing uh, the notion, the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, 
And that is being reintroduced because the Trans-Pacific Partnership was going to be the foundation for then moving toward uh, and, and finalizing the Transatlantic Investment Partnership, which was going to be the mechanism by which U.S. capital was going to, to be able to really uh, assert its hegemony across the European uh, uh, market. So they are bringing back the, the agenda that they wanted to implement uh, in 2016, if Hillary Clinton would have won, uh, they bring it back that neoliberal global agenda. And the problem we have is this, that there's gonna be very little opposition to this agenda being uh, being imposed because the left, uh, they collaborated with the, with the Democrats uh, and are already weak, uh, they have no standing. Uh, the liberal forces are, have, have been told, and they will be told uh, very soon, that they cannot use any of their resources to engage any kind of oppositional activity vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Democratic Party. Uh, so basically, the only opposition would be out there would be the Trump forces, which would be a very uh, significant opposition because I argue that Donald Trump is now more dangerous outside of the state than he was in the state. Well, hold on Last to that. Hold on to that. When we come back from break, we want to pick up on that point. Uh, so this renegade culture, maybe if we get if Rosa comes in, she'll join the conversation. Uh, but we're hitting hard on international affairs and U.S. empire. We're going to be right back. Renegade culture. Bo, bo, bo. I'm a runaway slave. A runaway slave. I'm a runaway slave. A runaway slave. I'm a runaway slave. A runaway slave. I'm a runaway slave. Living life on the Will excuse me, take a few minutes to, to mellow, mellow out. out. Big Daddy Kane is on the mic and, and I'ma I'm tell, tell about a minimum length. The rhymes, the strength, and power. So listen to the men of the hour. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Daddy. It was almost like he was in the studio with us, you know what I'm saying? Almost, hey. almost. A little oh, bit, a little uh, bit. Yeah. Hip Hop History Month, y'all, Renegade okay. Culture. You know we got to bring it to you. You know right. what I'm saying? This is Kamal K. Franklin. Minister Server. And the Ear Doctor. The Ear Doctor. Ja. Ja. I think Ja's high. I, wanna, I won't talk about this shit, <laughs> but I'm just saying. No. And our special guest, we got Kali Okuno. We got Ajamu Baraka. And just to let folks know, so we were trying to get in Rosa Clemente, uh, but she was having technical difficulties, so we we're going to set up another show to have her on. No uh, but we wanted to start back up and pick back on Ajambu's point. He was starting to get into Trump um, uh, and talking about how Trump was going to be even more dangerous potentially outside of the U.S. presidency as opposed to being the U.S. president. So what do you mean by that, Ajambu? Basically, now that he didn't have the constraint of the, of the U.S. state, and now with him being outside of the state, he will be able to devote uh, some attention, and now they have enormous resources too, of course, to actually organizing that, uh, that disorganized movement that we were all afraid of because they represented so-called neo-fascism. But that, that movement was disorganized, um, and it was, it was not in a position to really challenge, in my opinion, uh, the power of the neoliberals who control the U.S. state. But now with Trump being outside, he's going to build a movement. Trump would be the second most powerful, if not the most powerful individual in the U.S. because uh, Trump and the Trump and Trumpism is not going anywhere. And so with a 70 million person base uh, with an organized apparatus um, and with the enormous influence, he will still be able to to have on the uh, Republican representatives, uh, he is he would be a force to contend with. Now, your first question in terms of 
whether or not we're going to see, going back to uh, what Biden might be representing uh, in office in terms of foreign policy, uh, whether or not we'll see massive uh, troops on the ground and more aggression in that way, no. The U.S. is committed to, uh, uh, they understand the mistakes they made when they got uh, strung out with trying to fight, fight two wars at one time. Mm. Uh, you know, the arrogance of white supremacy. Um, and so they re-embraced uh, the Rumsfeld uh, doctrine, which was repackaged and called the Obama doctrine, uh, by concentrating and being dependent on the use of special forces. So they're not going to put uh, uh, troops on the ground, but they also have perfected another form of warfare, and that is economic sanctions. As long as they are able to to impose draconian economic sanctions, then basically, why do you need to uh, to uh, exercise? Why do you need to commit military force when you can basically cause death and destruction using sanctions? And so, Kali, do you do you um, you know like drone warfare has now been the specialty? So mixed in with economic sanctions and then targeted killings has now sort of been the sort of preferred method of maintaining empire, particularly in places like the Middle East um, and, and now starting in Africa. And AFRICOM uh, has now started to become even sort of more, uh, uh, I say, prominent in terms of U.S. foreign policy. Uh, finally, they got an African nation to decide to house it there. What do you, what do you see is going to be sort of um, uh, the role of AFRICOM under, uh, under Biden uh, in terms of its use in Africa um, coming up? I mean, uh, uh, <clears throat> I think its first primary use is going to be um, uh, migration control, first and foremost, in a, in a real practical sense. Um, trying to stop, you know, the, the literal flood of, of our folks uh, who are running from climate change, you know, and all of the, particularly in the Sahil uh, region, um, you know, and, and all the civil strife that's coming with that, you know, uh, that's directly associated with that. In terms of a broader uh, economic piece, they're really coming up short in a lot of ways, you know, on, on, the, on the economic front, you know, where the, the kind of major, at least political advances on the continent, I think they're still being made, uh, are largely by the Chinese because the Chinese are talking yeah, exactly. long-term infrastructure development. You know, it's got contradictions of course, but <clears throat> you know, folks have been, been waiting for trains, been waiting for highways, uh, been waiting for, you know, new wells, been waiting for uh, uh, all those different things which have fundamentally been, been blocked you know, by the West, by the IMF in particular, uh, going back to the 1970s. And so, uh, you know, how the Chinese have been coming in with their own particular kind of you know, brand of uh, debt financing and, and quote unquote loan forgiveness, uh, that's far more uh, attractive. And so where AFRICOM is basically is to disrupt a lot of that, uh, but it's not like it's offering a great deal of economic degrees or incentives. But we also shouldn't get confused, you know, because it's going to take the Chinese a while uh, to actually match the, the real level of, of investment that the Europeans and the Americans already have in the continent, right? So 
part of this whole thing you see like the economists and all these other folks you know talking about the the chinese or the new colonial uh, power on the continent uh you know if you actually add up the numbers it's like you know this block to my arm you know mm-hmm. uh, uh in in terms of, of of concrete uh reality so they they the chinese are employing a, a much different tactic and a much different route which over the course of time i do think uh will have more more traction and more more gain um you know just for good or bad, you know, folks are saying, you're going to let me do what I want to do and you're just not going to interfere as long as you get to build a road and have your little town. Mm-hmm. I'll go with that than, than messing with these folks, you know, these other folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the but there is a real, you know, one, uh, a piece that Europe and the United States really uh, do not have a, uh, an answer for uh, is this migration question and how that's going to accelerate. Um, and, you know, despite what people, um, you know, think about, you know, a more kind of kind and benevolent uh, Europe, uh, its re- its reaction to our folks, you know, from the continent, from uh, stuff, uh, West Asian region and, and East Africa has been militarized. Uh, and that's only in, in increasing, particularly looking at some of these recent deals that the Greeks uh, just made you know, uh, uh, with Turkey, uh, you know, Italy's is uh, uh, got warships out patrolling the, the the coast. Got the backing of most of uh, uh, Europe on that. Um, so that's a particular piece that I think NATO is going to have to come around and regroup and be once again a kind of a new linchpin of the of their thinking. And I think Africom is going to get pulled into that. And one of the primary reasons I think it's going to get pulled into that uh, is is how they gonna have to manage the contradictions that they don't unleash in Libya, and then all the new fields of investment, in particular France, has been putting into uh, Algeria, and Morocco around oil, gas, and water exploration. Uh, so Africom is gonna be directly pulled into their orbit, I think, in that particular way. All right. uh, you know, which is not about economic development, but long-term energy and resource security. Yeah. Let me stop you there, because Jamo, I know you, uh, your organization is doing a lot of work on this. So what do you see as the particular dangers of sort of the extension of AFRICOM right now? Uh, the, the complete subordination of the African continent to U.S. and European imperialism. Uh, Africa represents now the, the, the new uh, front for, for attempting to rescue global capital, mm-hmm. and, which is interesting because it was, the, it was a scramble for Africa uh, in, the, uh, in, in the 1870s and 1880s. Uh, as an attempt to try to salvage the contradictions of the colonial capitalist system um, that led to the First World War because it couldn't be uh, salvaged. And now here we are 130 years later and to try to salvage the uh, global colonial capitalist system, now we're back in a scramble on Africa or in Africa. So, you know, the the U.S. has, has embraced a a, a, uh, a policy for how to deal with Africa this is military center as opposed to the uh, the uh, incentives and the relationships as Kali laid out that the Chinese are involved in with African states uh, and so it makes uh, their approach much more dangerous for African people because you have a number of corrupt African states that don't mind um, that alliance with the US uh, who have uh, demonstrated that in the fact that you have uh, military to military relations between the U.S. and 53 up to 54 African states. 
that you that you had yes that you have a, a 1,900 percent expansion of AFRICOM on the African continent under Obama and continuing and continued uh, through Trump. So uh, the militarization of the continent, uh, war and death and destruction, is on the agenda for the for the African continent. Real quick, you have been watching the stories coming out of Mozambique and the the, mm -hmm. the so-called uh, jihadists that are, are have been un, are, are involved in Mozambique. We predicted that four years ago. Mm -hmm. Why Mozambique? Why ISIS in Mozambique? Well, because maybe because uh, off the coast of Mozambique, you have one of the largest deposits of of gas uh, in the world. So liquefied right. gas is is the prize. And so you 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 destabilize the state. You create a situation where they feel compelled to have to bring in the U.S. to help them with their jihadist uh, problem. And you have the expansion of U.S. influence in Mozambique, and meaning across uh, the southern part of the continent, with Uganda and Rwanda doing their thing in uh, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So, where does the African Union stand as far as how they how they're dealing with the, the onslaught of Africom in, in the, the different countries? Said in 53 countries they have relationships now. How how's the African Union dealing with that onslaught? <laughs> What you mean dealing? What you mean dealing? Wheeling and dealing? Yeah, they're dealing all right. Yeah, they're dealing. They're wheeling and dealing. That's about it. Wow. Crazy. So, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, you know, finish. No, no. I mean, you know, for the, like, you just got variants of, of, uh, corruption and capitulation on on most of the continent now, you know the the the, the revolutionary movements that ushered in the, the the area of kind of national independence, uh, either done went corrupt or or you know most of their leadership really in truth got taken out in the 1980s. Uh, you know a lot of that got liquefied liquidated a long uh, time ago. So you you got uh opportunists upon opportunists now who are trying to mediate you know you know things now there's some elements of a resurgent left that you you kind of hear and see uh you know at least that i can follow from from the english press not up on the french press as much but you know you still got some folks in azania you know trying to hold the line kenya uh nigeria and a few folks i see here and there in africa but I mean, in Ghana, but it's still small, uh, incoherent. Uh, I think the EFF is probably the the, the most vocal in the, the the OAU right now, kind of trying to hold some line. But again, very small uh, 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 force. They loud, but they still small. Mm -hmm. but you know, if I could jump in for a yeah, second, yeah, yeah. To, to give you an, an example of how something small and relatively insignificant in the scheme of things uh, can be used as a, a, a motivating force for actually galvanizing left forces. And that is what happened, what unfolded in Nigeria mm -hmm. with the SARS mm -hmm. uh, rebellion uh, and mm -hmm. the, the heavy-handed response from the Nigerian government. That situation, you know, goes to the, the issue we're talking about now, AFRICOM. Uh, and the political issue that Brother Kali just raised. On AFRICOM, 
it was the Nigerian military that, that uh, along with the police force, that of course put down that, that resistance. Uh, the Nigerian military is trained, has been trained by the U.S. They're part of the AFRICOM uh, relationship between the Nigeria and, and the U.S. The Nigerian police forces have been trained uh, by the U.S. There's an international uh, police training academy uh, in Washington connected to the State Department that's been responsible for training police forces across the, uh, across the planet. They train the Nigerian police. So the people in Nigeria uh, made those connections. They understood that they're not just fighting the Nigerians, they're also fighting the, the, the U.S. Right. Politically, you know, the forces that came together to try to, to resist and got, end up being shot down, they represent the left in Nigeria. But as a consequence of that heavy-handed response, there's been meetings across the continent now. We were able to, to host, that is about, uh, a series of these meetings. We have one tomorrow, as a matter of fact, 9 o'clock in the morning of left forces from literally across the continent uh, who uh, have not only expressed uh, solidarity, but now there's this elevated conversation around how do we, how do we build an integrated, organized uh, left movement on the African continent. So sometimes you have, you know, one spark, you know, can, 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 can set things off. And I think Nigeria might be something that's really significant. Okay, so we're about to take a final break, and when we come back, we want to talk about, even, it's kind of weird based on so far this conversation, but also, are we seeing a, a declining U.S. empire, and if so, who's battling the U.S. empire for supremacy? And something Ajamu brought up earlier, uh, where are sort of left liberal forces in the United States to battle uh, sort of U.S. hegemony domestically? Because um, you talked about folks' connection to the Democratic Party, so we want to explore that a little bit more when we come back on Renegade Culture. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, it goes into my head as just chit chatter. We think of egotistical or just fancy free, but what you say, I take none of it seriously. seriously. Yeah. Renegade oh. culture, take it seriously. Bam. Hip-hop, oh, my man hip-hop. dropping rhymes, you know what I'm saying? Hip hop history month, you know we got to get it in for the people. I know, I feel like it's like 1980 all over again. Man, up in this you know bitch, what I'm saying? saying? Plus, right. plus, we, we got the heavyweights over here, so we got to get on to the classic. True, you know what I'm saying? True. And Kylie got all those albums, I know that. I'm for sure, fact, I'm sure. Saying? Come on now. Um, so, yeah, oh, we want to pick back true. up. <laughs> we got our special guests, uh, Ajamu Baraka and Kali Okuna. We want to thank them for coming on. We want to hit back into the conversation. So when we left, we wanted to pick back up on U.S. empire. So we all know that U.S. empire is still dominant. European, U.S. cabinet, combined, sort of control vast amount of resources. They control the economy of the world, obviously military hardware, so forth and so on. But there are challenges that are happening that seems to be suggesting that there's a shift. Uh, and you, Kali, I think you, you brought up some of this earlier talking about China. Um, so there seems to be an emergence of China, a somewhat reemergence of Russia. I'm not saying these are obviously revolutionary forces by any stretch of the imagination, but they are challenging U.S. hegemony, which may create some openings again for, um, for you know, either local, uh, organizing some states to sort of creep out or play each other against each other. So what do you see as sort of like the, uh, relatively speaking, 
the long-term sort of um, uh, reign of U.S. empire, and I'll start with you this time, Kali, the long-term reign of U.S. empire over the next 20 years or so, so forth. 20 years? You tw 20, 30 years? Well, how long you want to go? <laughs> how long will the empire last? Well, I mean, um, the signs of ecological collapse are, are rapidly approaching. You know, I mean, rapidly approaching. They're here. Um, and these folks are not planning on no major course correction. I mean, that, that's abundantly clear at this point. Um, the Chinese are a little bit ahead of the game uh, on, on that front, or at least seeing the long-term need for some alternative energy sources. Uh, but they they baked into you know the the petrochemical hydrocarbon cycle of production uh, as well. They they there. So we in for some rough times overall. Not just about the empire. I think just about the the level of uh, economic output that the capitalist system basically cannot live without and the ecological limits and then where that's going to fracture within this system between it not being able to meet a core set of material needs uh and have to continue to resort uh you know with with extraction without the pretense of democracy so all this people you know worried about fascism i think the people you know i think a lot of that will lose was 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 being said in such a way that was rhetorically un, that, you know, helpful for the liberals, but actually not accurate, you know, in a, in a number of fundamental ways. But what we do have, you know, basically is, and you see it on a global scale, you know, the, the capitalist system basically just eliminating any pretense of having to operate by democratic means mm -hmm. uh, in order to, to make ends meet. And this has been going on long before Trump came on, on the scene on a global scale. So th this problem is going to continue. Uh, whether the U.S. is going to be able to perpetuate uh, its kind of role as cop slash promoter of democracy uh, for that much longer in this context, I think is is not gonna last that long. I mean, I agree with Ajamu on, on a number of mm. uh, fronts that we need to come back. I think it just needs to be a particular uh, uh, show about uh, how uh, the right, I'm gonna say it beyond Trump, but how the right is going to use this next four years uh, to press the, the empire further to the right, uh, much further to the right than what it already is. Uh, and I think not only uh, uh, capture the state, the US state back, uh, but I think we'll do so on this basis of, you know, Y'all don't need to vote no more. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to make sure that that don't really happen uh, through all the institutional means at our discretion uh, to make sure that the outcomes that we want are, are set in place. And remember, they already got some good things uh, already in hand uh, to ensure minority government for, you know, at least the next two years with the Supreme Court on lockdown uh, and basically so the Senate on lockdown. Yeah. So, yeah. you know... Um, that's where we at. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. short, there's a lot more that could be said, but that's where we at. 
So Jamu, uh, I want to let you jump in on, uh, on that question too. So where do you see U.S. empire? Do you see it declining over the next 20 to 30 years? Do you see these rivals um, giving space for more radical revolutionary movements in between uh, the, to have more operating room? Uh, where do you see the U.S. empire going? Uh, toward fascism. I don't give it 30 years. Mm -hmm. Basically, the contradictions that, that are, are, are sharpening uh, today uh, which are the contradictions that have been sharpening for for the last four decades, have gotten to a point where either uh, either there's going to be a fascist reform, and let's re remind ourselves, fascism is a capitalist reform. So uh, because of the legitimation crisis that is deepening, the political uh, legitimation crisis, uh, the ideological crisis, uh, the, the state is going to be more and more dependent on the use of force and violence. Uh, so this is something almost objective because, you know, the economy is not going to recover. The, the more than 100,000 small and medium-sized uh, businesses that have gone out of, out, of, out of business that are coming back, uh, the means of people who are, are currently unemployed, many of them are not ever going to have a job again. Right. Uh, you know, our people who are who are located at the bottom rungs of the economy. Uh, we got to remember, even before this this current crisis, we had uh, among youth between 18 and 24, we had astronomical unemployment rates of 60, 70, 80 percent. So, you know, we are facing a dire situation, and the general working class uh, is facing a dire situation. So, no there will have to be either a revolutionary process uh, unfolding, real radical change, real radical uh, uh, reforms, or you're gonna have a fascist response to this uh, declining uh, economic uh, situation that the ruling class finds itself in. So on that note then, uh, let's, so let's switch to something that you brought up earlier, uh, something I think all of us have discussed in different ways. So the, the U.S. left, um, uh, U.S. radicals uh, or so-called radicals, uh, liberal left, sometimes I like to call them, uh, some of them, you know, particularly sided with or decided, obviously, in their minds, they're pushing Trump out, but they, they did the bidding, let's say, a lot of times of Joe Biden in terms of supporting that, right? Um, and even though I think there has been some openings uh, to talk more explicitly about Palestine and supporting Palestine as one opening, uh, within Kali's already shaking his head that it's not true, but um, I've seen more public stuff here in the U.S. I'm not saying it's gotten anywhere, but I've seen it. Where do you see the sort of the the left forces, uh, black radical forces, uh, yes, um, yes. in terms of um, uh, challenging, um, let's say, uh, empire as it goes into this next phase of operation? And I'm gonna start off with you, Kali, because you had and a, also yeah, just, yeah. just to add on that. And what are some of the things that we should be doing to challenge those forces? Yeah. Kali, why don't you start, and then we're going to let Ajamu uh, join in. Since you shook your head so um, much. Yeah, I'm going to shake my head hard on that one because, <laughs> the, look, the forces that you described, A, barely exist, uh, and B, uh, are deeply uh, entrenched within the Democratic Party. And any real resistance is not going to come from uh, the the so-called organized forces. I think, hell, you know, the Floyd Rebellion, I think, has demonstrated that. 
you know, they came from more, the, the real heat came from more, more unorganized forces. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, the organized forces came behind it, you know, trying to capture that, that motion. Always right. um, you know, but, but uh, in terms of mounting a real resistance, that's not going to come from the quote unquote organized uh, forces right now in this country. Uh, now the good thing is those organized forces don't speak for the vast majority of the masses, uh, and, and and cannot. Uh, and you know the weakness of those forces are unfortunately not organized, but that also means at least in the short term they're not trapped up, uh, uh, you know, in the payola scheme. They're not trapped up in the the patronage scheme, uh, so they actually have a lot more maneuverability, uh, uh, at least in the short term. Now, vision, structure, capacity to carry something out is going to be questionable. But, you know, I think the flare-ups uh, will definitely move. But look, I mean, um, this country has been moving steadily to the right since 1968. And every election, you know, you can go back even further than that, actually. Not like this thing was ever left in any form, uh, uh, critical sense, uh, even by their own definitions of that term. But, uh, you know, this, this kind of uh, triage politics of we got to hold our nose and, you know, go with the less bloody shirt as brother uh, Gerald Horn, you know, uh, lays out. Uh, that's been clear since 68. Um, and people saying that, you know, um, we're just going to do this for Biden. That, that's a bold-faced lie. You know, folks was, was baked into that long before Trump showed up on the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next uh, election is going to be the most dangerous election because <laughs> the next time around, you know, four years from now, uh, they probably have. I would, I would say, you know, uh, they are going to. The right is actually going to learn. I think has already done a tremendous amount of learning from from the Trump experiment, uh, and they're going to have somebody, you know, with the same political. Uh, they're going, they're going to resurrect John Wayne or some new form of Ronald Reagan. You know who can say uh, uh, all the mean ass shit uh, uh, with more clarity and less, you know, uh, uh, vile uh, racist rhetoric, mm-hmm. but mean it just as well. But will actually know how to govern, mm-hmm. right? And actually know how to to, to make certain uh, uh, compromises. So I think they're going to get you know more keen on this. Uh, and what you what we're going to see in the short term is a lot of the forces. Uh, in this Democratic Party fold that that got on this bandwagon of you know uh, anybody but Trump, they're going to be trying to discipline us, mm-hmm. th- those of us in this conversation in the short term. Uh, and you already saw it. I mean, the man hadn't even uh, the cop and, and Biden hadn't even you know, uh, fully uh, got all the announcements on the networks yet. And they started going after the progressives in their own formation mm-hmm. uh, to discipline them. Uh, really? uh, uh, even before the ink was dry, you know. So yeah. if they own it this early, you know, uh, just imagine what they're gonna do come uh, mm-hmm. April, May, uh, when there's millions of more folks have been pushed out of their houses. COVID nineteen, you know, is still gonna be raging. Uh, they're gonna have to, to try to get any grip on to shut the economy down. But you know, as the jumble was was laying out, uh, they're not gonna offer no major. Uh, uh, Stimulus package mm-hmm. uh, uh, again, not a, not in the sense of what they laid out uh, in what was that June. They're not doing that again. 
Let me you stop know, so you the there. contradictions from the base is going is going to keep going up. They don't, yeah. and no, nobody has an answer for that. We just yeah. need to be real about that. So, Ajama, why don't you jump in and tell us what yeah. your what's your analysis of like sort of left liberal forces in the United States, particularly to challenge U.S. hegemony overseas? I think that the the as colleague laid out, uh, the left forces in the U.S. are too disorganized, uh, and I would add corrupted. <laughs> to to engage in, a, in, uh, in an effective opposition. I mean, corrupted ideologically, corrupted culturally, um, you know, and politically. But basically, we saw with the, the arguments that were made for why it was important to collaborate with the Democrats, uh, they went beyond just politics. It was a strange kind of uh, positions that they were arguing that that they really, to me, demonstrated that we have a lot more uh, pro-U.S. Uh, 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 forces among the left that people might want to recognize. The politics of sentimentality, uh, the, 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 the way people frame things, uh, threats to our democracy. What? When do we get a <laughs> right. democracy? Right. You know, our country. You know, look, I'm going to tell you, since we're on, on this, this program, I think that the the lesser of two evil uh, is a petty bourgeois unprincipled position. Mm, mm, How can yeah. any self-respecting African revolutionary embrace a lesser of two evil strategy? Exactly. You know that is backwards. So as long as that kind of of, of a position can gain some any kind of legitimacy, uh, it re really reflects the the level of corruption we have to deal with within the so-called left. That's so right. no, we've got to build a left uh, with clear, uh, a clear vocabulary that cannot be co-opted by, by the state. If we're not talking about uh, the absolute necessity for building an anti-capitalist opposition, we're not talking about uh, envisioning a socialist transition, a socialist transformation uh, in clear terms, we're going to miss the mood of the people, the, 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 the young folks out there who they're not ready to compromise. They don't want to compromise. They were they were to fight, but we need they, they need formation. Exactly. They need uh, they need an organized force that can galvanize that energy into something that's really effective. So, you know, you said thirty years, and I said no, I don't see it. These contradictions are come are come to a head within this decade. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now it may not be a complete revolutionary transformation, of course. But the, the, the contradictions of the economy are deepening so critically yes. that this, it, it can't hold. It can't hold more than a few more years. As Kyle just said, think about where we're going to be at by June when the economy continues with the unable to absorb all of the unemployment. You know, uh, no, this is this thing. This is the, the most critical moment in the history of this republic. And I'm just so happy. Uh, that I'm still here because I'm, we are seeing the beginning, the real beginning of the end. Mm -hmm. no, so on that note, wow. <laughs> um, I want to thank both Kali Okuno, Ajamu Baraka for coming on and laying it down straight on yeah. U.S. hegemony and empire. It was great to have y'all on. As we said, Rosa Clemente tried to join us. We're going to have her on at another time. But thank you, brothers, so much for coming on, and you will be on a lot more in the future. So how, and, and yeah, before we go, folks wanted to contact you guys in terms of your social media or, or know more about your organizations. Ajama, we'll start with you. Where can they go to find out more? Uh, please go to blackallianceforpeace.com. Uh, and, and if you want to talk about and, and struggle against AFRICOM, go there and join us in our No Compromise, No Retreat 
uh, campaign to defeat the war against African people in the U.S. and abroad. Yeah. And Kali Okuno, how can folks contact you guys? Uh, you know, to reach me directly, just hit me up on Facebook, Kali Okuno, uh, or, you know, email Kali Okuno at gmail.com. Uh, for you know a segment of our our mass uh, uh, work that we're trying to do to build you know at least a material base to to launch a long-term struggle against you want to check out cooperation jackson uh website cooperationjackson.org and then uh, co-op jackson on twitter instagram and co-op jackson on facebook you know for all for all these uh folks who like to get into those entanglements. <laughs> Yo, sir, thank y'all for coming out. We man, appreciate having y'all. Appreciate y'all dropping those jewels, man. Thank if you. people need to hear that kind of info that you're not getting anywhere else except Renegade Culture. Okay? Boom, we out. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Get y'all raps together, man. Practice y'all raps. Damn. Uh, <laughs> you got something to submit? What, you want to battle? What, you want to battle? What's up? <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Renegade Culture, we be back. <laughs> Boom, yo, we back. Thank y'all for a great show, man, Renegade Culture. Dope show, man. I know. It was dropping yeah. jewels, bro. I feel like there was like some heavy hit. It was like a somber Renegade Culture show. Hey, but you know what? These are somber times, man. That's this true. is a serious time. Yeah. And only Renegade Culture are you getting information like that, That's bro. That's right, yo. And we bring it to such a wide audience. We want to make sure our fans check us out. You can get us on SoundCloud, Spotify, RenegadeCulture.org, Playback TV. You know what I'm saying? You can get us on what else is out there? Um, Apple. Anything. Anywhere you, anywhere you want the flyest podcast, you're going to find Renegade Culture. True that, true. And so we're going to be putting on a real Patreon because we're going to need the folks' support to keep this going. So look out, particularly on SoundCloud and some of our other places, to check out our Patreon. We're going to have different levels of support for folks. Freedom um, ain't free. Freedom ain't free. Freedom, Freedom ain't free. Freedom free, yo. Help support. And real quick, uh, yeah. since it is Hip Hop History Month, I want to give a, a RIP out to the bro the young brothers King Vaughn and yeah, Mo3. Man. They mm. just got shot and killed. Another crazy, senseless thing going down. So RIP. Yeah, RIP for that for sure, man. And yo, stop the violence for real again. 30 years later, it's time for another Stop the Violence right. movement. Yeah. Heard for self-destruction. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yo, Renegade Coach, yo, we be back next week with another episode. Peace. Did he just do the Wakanda? I, I do that now. I don't know why I keep doing the Wakanda and shit, yo. Peace. Peace. <laughs>